0: I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of Refiner Touch Construction, and we are super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And of course, to start this episode, we must give a thanks to our sponsor, SubZero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-precious showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout the entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom in North very often. In fact, it's just around the corner here from my office. It's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with a showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub Zero Wolf and Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products, turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Co. showroom is a place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www.subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom. So today we're excited to bring on Kathleen Anderson, and Kathleen is the principal of material design, and she has an amazing background. One of the reasons we want to bring her on, she has this amazing um, concept and idea that she just launched, and we're going to have the links here in our episode. And here in the episode, we actually discuss it in great detail, so definitely stay tuned as you listen to uh, that announcement here. But one of the reasons we want to bring Kathleen on is she has an incredible background. She has a master's in architecture from the UPC in Barcelona, Spain. You know, she's worked in commercial construction, in hotel and uh, resorts, and it's amazing how that information and knowledge that she's had working in that industry has really impacted the market in the residential side, especially with this new concept that she's doing. And we spoke greatly about some of the pet peeves of builders and designers and how that relationship is so important in the beginning and how it can really create a successful project for the client. And then, of course, how 3D and BIM modeling makes a huge difference, you know, how we can work through... So many things on the front end, which really sets up the project for success. So again, a big thanks to Kat. You'll love this episode. We even dive into a little bit of marketing and business relationships. So stay tuned. So welcome today to Construction Podcast. And today we're super fortunate to have Kathleen Anderson with us, who is the principal of material design. So welcome, Kathleen.
1: Thanks, Brad. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, and I know you're doing some very exciting things. We've been talking offline just on... A couple new developments that you're doing to the industry that I think are going to make a huge impact that I know we'll dive into later in the discussion. Um, and one thing that really fascinated me, me about your profile is that when you think about design, especially interior designers, you know, how much it integrates with architecture. And one thing I've noticed is with the designers that we work with, the ones that understand architecture, I mean, there's they, they have such a leg up, right? So it fascinated me because your background, you have a master's in architecture from the UPC in Barcelona, Spain. So how have you seen that architecture and training, you know, make such an impact and difference in your uh, design aesthetic and design understanding?
1: Ooh, thanks for asking Brad. Great question. Um, honestly, it affects everything because a, a room really starts with the core of where are the walls, where's the traffic flow. And then you kind of build onward from that. And so I really, gives you a grassroots view of design instead of really just like the lipstick you know that you're going in and slapping finishes on something that you haven't had either a hand in from the very very beginning in the conceptual phase or that you at least understand where the architect um, is coming from to be able to sort of be more peer-to-peer in a colleague with the architect instead of just like always responding it's it's a really fabulous connection
0: It's really important. You know, it's funny because I look back at my experience, and what's interesting is there are some instances where a homeowner will come in and they're like, Hey, you know, I need my architect. I have my lot of land. I'm going to start designing. And then at some point, they think, Okay, well, I better get a designer. I need to start thinking about finishes. And then when it's done, let's get three bids for a GC. And it's amazing the experience, how much different it is when they're like, Okay, Kathleen, I'm going to hire the architect, but I want to bring you in at the same time because now you can have. Uh, a voice and you can have an opinion and you can have an aesthetic that now integrates with just some of the nuances of architecture, right? That you have might have good vision for
1: so much even, um, Brad, I'm thinking of a hotel I worked on here in Austin where the real estate developer actually hired me before he hired the architect or the builder. And so I got to be a part of assembling the team. And then I had a really collaborative relationship with that architect and um, there were things that we could help each other out where I'm thinking specifically we're laying out the meeting room in a hotel. So think about you need space for a big room and then you need to be able to like divide it different ways. And so being able to offer the design perspective to the architect from the beginning and then also understanding that, you know, we need the structure and we need certain code requirements and sprinkler requirements, et cetera, and having a really good grasp on that we were able to offer together, the client, the most efficient possible solution. It was super exciting for everybody involved.
0: Which which is so important because, you know, when you're thinking about that, I, I it, it's always more successful when the designer's on first or at least with the architect the collaboration
1: because- Collaboration happens. It's the Collaboration is the name of the game.
0: <laughs> it is, and what's funny is, although the architects, and and I know some very talented ones, but there's little things that they may not be seeing as it relates to design that you're gonna pick up on. And and that's case in point. I mean, how has I guess one advantage you have as well as you've done commercial, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I've I've done commercial, I've done residential, and I feel that it gives an advantage because you have a different understanding of the different clientele, the different complexity, the different codes, and because in in commercial you're dealing with a lot of different things, and you're dealing with you know health regulations and you know um, capacity and certain things you right. may not with the residential. So how has that impacted I guess your influence on on the residential side? I
1: think anytime that you can just offer the next level of sophistication of product knowledge, of industry knowledge, of collaboration knowledge, everybody wins. The client wins. The builders win because you're able to offer more information from day one. I know when I worked in commercial, we had really rigorous schedules. I know you're familiar with this the amount of information that you give a builder on a commercial project is much higher than the level that's typically given in residential. And so I think it apps, that shapes my relationship with builders in residential because sometimes I'll go into a project where I'm working with a residential builder that's never been on a commercial project. And he's like, I got an email this week where a builder is like, can you do all of my projects? And they're kind of <laughs> the amount of information that comes, but everybody wins when the, that information is forthcoming. The collaboration is forthcoming. It's, I think, and the client wins.
0: And and do you feel there's a reason behind that? I say that is because it is true. When I've done commercial projects, everything is very specified, mm-hmm. you know, to the, uh, you know, to every fine detail, even at a bathroom, wainscoting, you know, to the backsplash in the kitchen or to the bar. I mean, all these little details, the furnishings, everything, the FF and E, it's all picked out. And right. and there's a reason being right. There's budget in mind. There's time frame because every day that the restaurant or the hotel is not open, they're losing revenue. So, right. you know, typically from a contractor side liquidated damages are involved whereas on a residential side you're trying to hone in something that's very personal you're dealing with the client right. and so is do you feel that there's a reason why it is different on commercial residential that because you it, it's maybe a little bit more business focus on commercial whereas it's a little more emotional driven on the residential side
1: maybe i mean a home honestly is extremely emotional for the buyer for the clients oftentimes the largest purchase of their lifetime and then they're kind of out of their league like you and i do this every day brad so we maybe take for granted like uh, i know every person on the market or like a very large variety of faucets and so once i hear what the client is after i can go right to it but sometimes i'm sure that you found this in your practice sometimes it pays off always it pays off to step back a little bit and realize like I've had years and years looking at faucets, looking at faucets, looking at faucets. And this customer is thinking, I'm gonna be looking at this faucet for the rest of my life. I wanna make sure it's the right one. So you kind of have to take them on that journey with you a little bit. And then commercially, you don't you kind of sidestep that because it is all business. They kind of assume you're professional and, and get on with it. And so um, the
0: I co- love that perspective though. I mean, you use the term journey, I think is really well said because it is true on a commercial side. It's not that uh, they shortcut finishes. and a lot of cases, they're really nice finishes in a lot mm-hmm. of projects. But but the end goal is something that's going to perform, that's going to um, you know look great, that's going to attract the, the, the customers, right? Whereas, as you mentioned, the journey, the emotional part with the client, they're looking at this, that this is a big purchase. This is something they're looking at, that they're going to feel in touch, and this is part of them. And so I'm sure that impacts, I oh, guess, boy. how you're communicating that.
1: Well, it, your approach, the kind of the pitching of it, the – the experience of introducing them to the particular selections and even we're, I know we're going to talk later about um, three-dimensional um, project modeling but really helping them kind of visualize things bringing in samples and then um, putting the samples next to each other where they can see sort of the big picture and it's not just this one selection we're zoning in a fo- you know it's not just the faucets how the faucet plays with the tile how it plays with the countertop how it plays with the wainscoting, how it pays, plays with the paneling on the door, all of it is is needs to be really cohesive. And so being able to bring the client into that big picture as early as possible really helps them as well. And it helps making the decisions a little bit easier.
0: Which is amazing. And so how do you keep, you know, with so much product innovation and so many different brands and companies out there, you know, for someone who may be a new designer or someone who's starting to build their firm, you know, what would you recommend? How do they get A good understanding of all the different products and and the new releases and the new innovations and then how are they functioning and performing you know is that's just something that you're going to learn over time as you go to these trade shows and design shows or what have you found you know in local markets to help that um
1: great question brad you know i have an office in tennessee and i lived and worked there for a long time and they don't necessarily have like great um
0: showrooms. Right,
1: right. Like right next <laughs> of course there's like Ferguson and things like that, which is a fabulous showroom, but they don't have like what Chicago or New York or the, a, a major metropolitan area is going to have. So I actually do invest a lot of time and money going to the Vegas Builders show, going to high point. I go to the Milan furniture fair every other year. Oh, that's great. Before, before we were all locked down yeah. and we were able to travel. And that was a thing. I yeah. didn't get to go this year. Um, and I spent a lot of time reading you know, on the internet, I listen to your podcast, listen to Luann's podcast. You guys aren't obviously talking about specific products, but you're advertising uh, Cove and um, Wolf, wolf, right? Yep,
0: yeah, subserve Wolf, yep. Yeah.
1: And and so at the end of the day, a lot of times it's relationships, relationship with a salesperson and, and getting to know and trust what they recommend to you is the right suggestion and knowing who you can trust and who's just trying to sell you something and make a buck, it, it, life is also so relational. In this business and everywhere,
0: I'd say. It's funny you say that because I, I couldn't agree more. I feel that, you know, what makes a company successful, whether you're a design firm, whether you're a builder, an architect, it doesn't matter. The thing is, it's the relationship industry, right? Because everyone's busy. Everyone has commitments. But at the end of the day, I'm only as good as my designer that can pick, you know, Design this amazing home that flows great and my architect, and then of course my suppliers that can perform and give me the product in a timely manner. And when there's an issue, which I tend to have all the time, I think it <laughs>
1: happen. Life happens. Yeah,
0: it does that you have someone that can say, Hey, Brad, yeah, we'll be there, we'll take care of it. You know, even if it's an oversight on our part. And that's what really makes a successful project for the client.
1: Absolutely. Really finding those relationships and going deep with them. I think you win in the long run, where you're bringing them a volume of work. And so, like you said, even when it's your screw up or it's my screw up, I'm thinking of one particular salesperson that I buy thousands and thousands of dollars product every month for my spec houses. And I know that he's going to have my back, whether it's his screw up or my screw up, we're going to work through it together. And we're all going to make money in the end. And but this is also particularly this year, I'm sure you've found has been particularly challenging with Getting things in time, things showing up weirdly broken or missing parts. Because I feel like some of the factory workers have been re- like there's been maybe some overturn like things that have never gone wrong before have gone wrong. <laughs> right. And so like, like not going off the handle, if, if I could go back to young cat just out of college and in the construction field, like don't flip out. Things are going to, every day that you wake up do this business, things are going to go wrong and it's not necessarily that you made a bad choice or the contractor did something wrong or, Like let's just all fix it and stop trying to play some sort of blame game and find the relationships of the people that are going to go the mile the extra mile with you you go the extra mile with them and be kind it's all going to turn out
0: I love that you said that. I mean, there's so much to mindset, right? And I, you know, not only does it apply to our business as a designer, as a builder, because as you mentioned, it seems that every day there's an issue to deal with, right? And the more we understand that this is reality and it's how we address those and communicate those, you know, and we don't get emotionally involved in them and just right. understand it's a part of the process. And I think that, you know, for anyone that's an entrepreneur, and this is really applicable to any business owner that's an entrepreneur, because one thing as a business owner, it doesn't matter the industry you're in. You're gonna have ups and downs all day. You're gonna have frustrations. And people always say, if I'm a business owner, what should I think about? How go? Because you're always thinking about it when you're on vacation, you're thinking about it. You're always thinking about business development. But it's more understanding that positive mindset because most successful mm-hmm. entrepreneurs are positive because you're gonna have a lot of downs throughout the day. And how do you overcome those and then broadcast that positivity to your workforce and to your suppliers and to your team so that they don't get discouraged, right?
1: A hundred percent. And I'm sure you've said this in your podcast before, but I think as I become an older business owner, one of the things that has been really crucial is kind of planning for that margin. When I'm doing an installer, whatever, know that something is going to go wrong. So don't give yourself such a tight schedule and promise to the client so that there you are at the 11th hour and something goes wrong and you didn't allow just a tiny little breather. And then you're either under delivering or you're freaking out on everyone trying to like, make it happen in the last second, just planning, go ahead and and realize, I mean, they don't print pages. When you're reading a book, the print doesn't go all the way to the edge because they don't know that every page is going to get cut exactly correctly. They get, they like literally waste thousands and thousands of dollars of paper every year in the book industry to give a little bit of margin because, because the printer can't cut out pages exactly the same and we can't deliver a project exactly the way that we plan exactly without a hitch, without just a, Something's going to happen and just allow for it and know like, all right, this is the thing and let's move on.
0: Kathleen, I mean, I, th- I think you're so dead on because it's funny you hear the term, you know, we don't have challenges. They're just opportunities to succeed, right? It's just, you know, that mindset. But I, the point you made that I really want to touch on is, you know, when you talk about your experience as a business owner, this changes. You know, I look now on a couple of projects, a couple of examples I could give is that, you know, before. You know, when I'd meet with a client and we're so anxious to get started, you want to get the shovel on the ground and you want to get moving. But now I've realized, hey, let's – it's okay to wait 30 days. You know, wait 30 days. Let's get these decisions done because what that's going to do, we may wait 30, but your construction loan not going to engage. So you're not paying interest yet till we break ground. And now I can build a home 90 days faster because all these decisions are made. And so yep. you're going to save two months. And that's – you know, you don't understand that till you've been through it. And then you think about like at the end of the schedule. Yeah. And then you think at the end of the day, have a punch day, you know, 30 days of punch. I may only need two weeks, but I need to put 30 days in there because right. nothing is worse than a client trying to get CFO. You're still doing punch. House isn't done. Designers trying to move in furnishings and window coverings. And then everyone's mad at each other, right? Everyone's so have,
1: angry. Nobody yeah. wins.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then the designer's mad at me and client's mad at me and we can't get our trades in there and everyone's hopping around each other. And it just makes it difficult. And I'm sure you've been through that experience as well on both sides.
1: So much and it's when you're in front of the client you want to over deliver i try to offer the same level of service that a, you know four seasons or a ritz carlton would offer that client because it's kind of that same clientele and so you want to be the yes person when they're like oh we don't want 30 days for punching can we do two weeks and yeah. you're like i might be able to do it in two weeks yeah. <laughs> don't say that
0: because it never happens we
1: need 30 it never yeah. happens
0: <laughs> yeah especially you get to the level that we need it at so so let me ask you this i guess how do you manage that expectation? Because we know that the project is gonna be more efficient if Kat, you're on at the beginning, you have the architect, you have the builder. So how are you conveying or communicating with the customer, setting that expectation, or is it kind of vary by project?
1: I really believe in educating the client and just like everything else in business, the level of clients that you get, the longer you're in is just keeps getting better and better. So I'm really lucky, I have really fabulous clients. And I try to go deep with the clients as well. And I'm really honest with them and straightforward. And I try to give them as much information as possible. And I think at the end of the day, the level of client that both you and I are dealing with, understand uh, if you're upfront and you're a business person and you have a process, I think they're going to understand that. It's when you kind of go in and you don't, you're not really sure like yeah. need 14 days. It's when, when you can stand in your space, this level of client is going to be fine with it. It's when you walk in not knowing what you, what you need or what the process needs that I think there things get a little sideways sometimes.
0: And and it does take time I think to understand that as an owner. And I think for anyone listening, I, you know, as you can build those relationships. Like I've seen, just with my designer network here in Scottsdale, you know, the collaboration where. You know, it's not that we're like pulling for each other, but in the sense we are because we know it can be successful because especially at pre-construction, when the designers call and saying, hey, Brad, I really have this good, you know, this idea. It's like different. I want to do this, this, and this. Can it be done? And to have that resource, we're like, yeah, that can be done. And, you know, it's budget friendly. Here's some options we have to make this work for the client. You know, that collaboration can really happen a lot behind the scenes and the benefit for the client.
1: what's a benefit for the client. I think it's a benefit for everyone. It. it... But makes both you and I look more professional if we come with the same answers with that kind of united front. And likewise, when I call when I call the builder and say, Can you do this little funky thing I've just thought up or I saw in a magazine in Europe or whatever, he and he can say, Yes, here's how it's gonna happen. It will be efficient and not expensive, or it's going to be very expensive, or absolutely not. It's way but it makes me look better to have that conversation with you behind closed doors and to go Tell my client, hey, I saw this in the, you know, I read some of the European Architectural Digest. So sometimes I come up with some crazy ideas or um, so I'll go to the client, sell this idea and the client's like in love with it. They're going to have this one of a kind thing. And then we go to the builder and tell the builder about it. And the builder's like, absolutely not. Or it's going to be a hundred thousand dollars. And so right. <laughs> now you have a disappointed client. So yeah. if you have that sort of mutual respect with the builder, go behind closed doors, have that conversation so that you as a de- designer can go to the client with the best information and everybody wins. And that way you're not selling clients something that then you cannot deliver.
0: Yeah, I love these. you share that because there is, there is a price. I mean, everyone's price sensitive to some extent. And the more we can vet that at the beginning really is helpful. And I've seen, especially now, I feel like in the last year, our firm is a lot more um, prepared, You know, especially at pre-constructions. We're working with design and architect that we go into a project and it's, it's dialed in, you know, when we break ground and the advantage to our designers is that, you know, typically when they're with a client that says we're going to bid out to three GCs, well, now they're trying to hand carry the contract throughout the entire build. Whereas involving us in the beginning or a builder in the beginning, well, now you can figure out the scope. And so when I break ground, I, I know every detail, of the design book and what the designer has been envisioning right. the whole time. And so they may make a couple of visits just to see the fun stuff that's going in. And we may have like an electrical walk. You know and a couple little things but for the most part they can just sit there and watch from social media as this project's you know taking Beautiful. yeah <laughs> which is a win-win so cat when you're involved in with the architecture side you know how involved do you get you know do you get involved from like advice on the exterior any of the finishes for the exterior or um you know maybe layout of a bathroom to say you know the water closet i really don't want to hear i want to hide it you know or or layout of appliances i mean how involved do you get from an and are the architects somewhat receptive you know, to that advice?
1: Um, again, I think you approach a relationship like that with mutual respect. Nobody likes to know it all. <laughs> Nobody likes to be told what to do. So I think it has to be a collaboration. But um, if the client requests, I do get involved in pretty much every aspect. Sometimes it, it really does depend on the project and the scope of the project. Um, I've done... Projects that are because of the scope and the size, they're small enough where a, a licensed architect isn't needed and I've, I can do a full layout. Which sometimes the builders that I have really great relationships with, it's a secret weapon for them. If someone asks for a, a, a small medical office build out or something and, and they know that they have me in their back pocket, it's something that we can collaborate on and offer the clients together. Um, but I also have really great relationships with architects and I fully respect the profession of architecture. Um, I did go to architecture school, so I know how hard it is. I did not yeah. for the seven exams. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I absolutely respect that profession and I'm not here to say I can do it all because I can't, none of us can. I can offer a little bit more than you know a designer maybe that doesn't have that layer of training. Um, and I think when an architect approaches a project, especially if they have someone like me in on the team, the architect really is looking at structural and how do we hold this up? Especially if you get into something like a hotel, they're really into the machine of the building. Like, where's the HVAC? Where's the structure? And then I can be really into the more soft of, you know, where do we need... Maybe we have to have a column, but can we move it around a little bit instead of um, coming in? A lot of designers don't get to come in until all that stuff is set in stone and then you just have to work around it. So it's really great to... Well, especially okay. make an
0: impact. I mean, going back to your hotel analogy, I mean, you think about that emotional experience as they're walking in to check in, right? And what does that lobby feel like? What does that arrival zone feel like? And and that's really important because that's where the designer can have a huge impact. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of structural um, confines that you're working with, especially Mm -hmm. in certain locations. If you're in a high rise or downtown in a, in a big metropolitan area, you know, you're going to be confined to certain things that you have to work around, especially with mechanical. And so it's really good that you understand the soft side of it because that can help, um, you know, just the overall aesthetic, right. Of the design. Right. So, so what's, yeah. And
1: it's, oh, go ahead. (laughs) No, go ahead. Kat. I was just going to say it's really great because there are so many things in a building to think about. You know this from what you do every day. So many details. So it's really great to be on a team where you can support each other and I can, you know, be in this corner and you be in that corner. And together we're going to deliver something that's so exceptional because we are here together.
0: So let me ask you this then. You know, this is always a tough question for designers is that, you know, what separates a good designer from the the rest, right? So. (laughs) You know, are there are there certain elements? Does it help if they have if they understand CAD, right, and can do CAD? Does it help with architecture background? I mean, what are some things you've seen that have, you know, strengthened you know your um, your abilities as a designer?
1: Um, great question, and you probably could answer it better since you are actually on the receiving end of designer work. <laughs> My gut reaction would set would be to say communicating clearly, concisely, on time, managing the schedule and not being a pre-Madonna. I think it, our industry is getting better, it really is, but especially 15 years ago, 10 years ago, designers sometimes had a little bit of a snooty attitude, nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to be around that, you know? Like, it, it might be fun on TV, but nobody, nobody wants to have to deal with that, especially when things are going wrong, as you said. Things are going to go wrong, and so having that really approachable, we're in this together attitude, I think, is the way to do
0: it. Well, that's my guess. Yeah. I, I love that you said that and actually took it that direction because instead of the qualification side, you look at the overall relationship side, which I think is the most important. It's funny because Luann and I had a discussion off air because she said, Brad, what are your pet peeves? Because I want to talk about this to, you know, my design <laughs> on it. And so we're going to do an episode of that at some point, but you know, to that point, and, and we could touch on it here, as you mentioned, Kat, is that when you're thinking about the process and it goes both ways, right? Sometimes you have these builders that are really strong in their position. I've been doing this for 40 years. Don't come mm-hmm. in and tell me how to do this. Right. Totally. Which is, which is never a great way to approach things with a designer or client. And then you have the designer that may, you know, have, as you mentioned, it may have an attitude behind them. And, and you know, the, the tough thing is, is when you're not collaborative as a team and there's that backbiting mm-hmm. and then the client feels it, you know, if, if I can, behind the scenes, sit down with architect and designer, we can solve pretty much 99% of any issue that's there, mm-hmm. right? And never mm-hmm. get to the client. And that's where I think separates the good designers and architects from the west, rest is where are behind the scenes. We can resolve these issues as a team. Totally. And we're not trying to build ourselves up in front of the client by throwing someone else under the bus, right? right. And then to your point, communicating, right? Answering the phone when I have a question. You There's, know, it goes both ways. A very
1: thorough set of specifications. Don't yeah. just specify the a tile, you need a tile pattern, you need a grout, you need a gap in the tile. Because if you just say, I like this tile, there's some guy on a job site someday, probably while you're out on another project and can't answer the phone, and he's like, Oh my God, I have the tile. Now, what am I supposed to do? And so he's left in a really difficult position. Either he makes something up or he waits for you to get back with him and he wastes the day. And as another business owner, no, nobody can say, say that's justifiable, but then, you know, play that out and then you and the client are doing your weekly walkthrough or whatever, the designer and the client are doing a weekly walkthrough and I'm like, oh my God, I wanted that tile to be straight stack in yeah. there. it's like on a running bond. Well, did you put straight stack or running bond in the specifications? And and it's not, it, it's, not a, it's a completely learnable skill. It's just really taking time to dive into those details. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more because the thing is like, one thing I've learned and I even told my clients, I said, I set this expectation from the very front. I said, clients, you're going to have a vision and an expectation of how this is going to look. Mm-hmm. Our designers to have a vision, of how this will look. And I have one too. And mm-hmm. sometimes no matter how much information we have on paper, all three want to line, but that's okay. We'll work through this and communicate and make sure we're on the same page. But to your point, the more detailed information we have, it does cure most of that where, you know, the, the architect, the designer and myself can clearly be on the same page and the homeowner hopefully has a good vision. That'll be what the way it's laid out. But I think one of the things that really helps too that we can touch on is you think of like the 3D, right? Like BIM mm-hmm. modeling and stuff because I love it. yeah, because like 2D is great cat. I mean, I like that person as a builder because that's what I build off of. Um, but for people that can't see that and finish, you know, like the client, I mean, how have you seen the BIM modeling and rendering and, you know, how's that made an impact, you know, for the client, you know, in the communication process.
1: That is the most exciting thing about doing this industry at this time in history, in my opinion. I mean, think about go back to that client experience we were talking about earlier where you and I, Brad, can look at kitchen layout. We can look at some cabinet elevations and we have pretty good idea of what the, build, the end product is going to look like simply because we've seen it over and over and over and over again. But you have a client, maybe this is their first time going from plan to finished product. And so being able to make that emotional connection earlier, being able to pop it into SketchUp or whatever program, SketchUp is so easy. I, I, SketchUp is the easiest one to learn. Yeah. Modeling is, is not an undifficult thing to learn, but it is a worthwhile thing to learn. If you're in this industry, learn it or pay somebody to do it for you. I do both. Um, but so if if you can take that kitchen into a full 3D experience and you can walk them through the kitchen, and you can even catch changes before they happen on the job site because they're like, "Oh, I didn't, I don't like blah blah blah." But they would have never known that if they hadn't seen it in 3D. It's really incredible. So I love all of the 3D softwares. I obviously used Revit in architecture school. I'm really a big fan of Revit. It's very intensive. So if you're primarily residential, I think it. Especially if you're small scale residential. I think some of the projects that you do, Brad, are really, really large, but like let's say you're three thousand square feet or less. I don't know that Revit is expensive, it's hard to learn. And then it also has a lot of information. I mean, you can do your right. door schedules. You're doing a three a commercial project, you need Revit. But yeah. so if you're doing a house, I don't know that you would necessarily need it. Um, I use SketchUp when I'm doing houses all the time. It's it's kind of that quick and easy instant gratification. I even use it, I work a lot with spec builders and um Taking investors through. This is why we're going to spend X amount of dollars on the closet. It, it light bulbs go off that would not happen otherwise. It's phenomenal. So I don't necessarily give the up, I don't give those sketches to the builder to build from. That's more of an exercise of getting everybody on board so things don't get built that that suddenly have to be ripped out or whatever. Um, you know, obviously, CAD is is great for. Um, just getting out floor plans or Revit has that ability as well. It really depends on your budget and your staff and all there's so many things that go into that. What software do you use? I use them all. <laughs>
0: yeah no it's it's good advice and and for those listening i mean it is true like i would say most residential designers um you know small commercial may be using chief architect or um you know sketchup as you mentioned that's very common <clears throat> and then on the on bigger scale you know revit right is something that they use and and it's a little more complex but there's a lot of detail but the advantages as you're mentioning for the client it really paints a picture for them to visualize it because almost all clients even if they've been through the process, they can't visualize it. They don't do it every day. You know, so when they can see that and say, Oh, here's what it looks like with blue cabinets, here's what it looks like with green cabinets and this countertop, you know, quickly they can be like, Okay, you know, that makes sense, you know, and I, I like it or I don't. And and then we can, you know, from a builder side, even though we're building off a of CAD, you know, having those renderings do help because it gives our installers a vision of what it should look like as well.
1: Especially if you get into something a little different or out of that builder's comfort zone. Um, back to the spec work that I do, it's so much easier to have a conversation if I want to do floating cabinets or some detail that they haven't necessarily done before to like quickly show them how it looks in SketchUp. It, 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 we can sit there and talk about, okay, like what happens underneath the cabinet? Where does this go? Where where does the outlet go? So many more things come up than if I just did some quick elevation.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And, and what I love too, I mean, just from an architecture side, you, you know, we have, I, we we just went through an experience where we had a client interview different architects, and they chose one architect for this reason alone. in in the um, in the interview, he brought up his um, modeling, and I think he was using Chief Architect, maybe a SketchUp, I'm not sure, but um, he was able to show the house, you know, solstice. So he said, "Look, on on December 15th at 5 p.m., here's where the sun's going to be in Arizona, and here's the shade, right?" And wow. then In the summer, which we're doing, you know, July 10th at 5 p.m. when that sun's like super hot (laughs) and it's right in the west, it's the hottest part of the year. Here's where that sun's coming in. And so what the customer saw, they're like, oh, my gosh, like this is what I've been looking for because now I know where to put my pool and now I know how to have my overhangs. And here's, you know, different furnishings, you know, where here's where I need window coverings because it's going to that sun's going to beat on it. And so just something that simple made all the difference with the clients like, yep, that's who I'm hiring.
1: I love it. Love it.
0: And, and it makes a huge difference. You know, And you think about, you know, just from a planning side, Going, I, I know we've been beating this a lot, you know, in this conversation, but that pre-construction planning, because one thing that's my biggest challenge, it seems to be on every home is we have this amazing design. We're limited by height restrictions in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And then we have these amazing ceiling details from our designer and we're like, okay, mm-hmm. how do we get our mechanical and our HVAC from here to there, right? It doesn't fit through these trusses. We have these decorative ceilings. And so the advantage of having everyone involved from the beginning, and that's why clients need the whole team because now it's like, okay, cat, architect, us, how are we going to get mechanical there? How are we not going to jeopardize your ceiling detail and all your trim work? And then with the ceiling high restrictions, make this work.
1: And you can jump right in Revit or whatever you're using and just kind of play with some different ideas and adding architectural interest and using that as an opportunity instead of something that's going to be an eyesore. I love it.
0: It's so true. So how has social media become, you know, ever important to you, Kathleen, and growing your business? You know, how have you seen that take off or build your relationships on those platforms?
1: Social media, (laughs) the thing of our lifetime, I feel like, you know, I am a recovering social media introvert. I find find it, it's, so helpful it's so interesting to learn about what designers are doing all over the world so I actually spend a lot of time on social media following colleagues and people that I respect in the industry and um, I think that's such a fabulous tool there are so many great opportunities to learn things in this industry in this time in history it's just amazing and thanks to people like you and uh, there's so many Luann, of course we keep referring to so many people putting information out there every day. I love consuming it. I'm also starting to build a little bit um, of what my voice that's authentic to me is going to be on social media. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and I look up to, I aspire to be as successful in social media as you are.
0: <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So, I mean, how have you seen that importance? I guess, as you're networking with colleagues, why would you recommend it's important to understand, I guess, the tone or the voice or, the content you're putting out. How have you seen that make a difference for like maybe businesses that you're networking with?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great way to figure out who in your industry you would work well with because you can see, um, you know, what's important to you and you can see who, who else is posting about those same subjects and kind of in figure out if you guys would work well together on a project. Also, I know clients love to get on and see past work and see if they resonate with your style um it's also great when you're in client meetings to if you have an idea that's maybe something they haven't seen before to jump on you know maybe someone out in california or portland or whatever is doing that and here's a great photo of it i mean it's such a great resource
0: yeah and i think that's the one thing that's lost that most people don't realize you know when you look at social media yes we can create our own platform our own voice and resume if you will you know but one thing that people don't realize is the collaboration that's out there. And what I mean by that is not only meeting, you know, guests such as yourself, you know, that I've collaborated with, but I start thinking about people outside my industry, right? How much I've learned from them. And I'll give one example. So I had Dr. Brian Harris on the podcast. He was actually one of my clients. He's a cosmetic dentist and he nails it. He always talks about the emotional journey and Mm -hmm. he does cosmetic dentistry. So he talks about his clients that, um, you know, they, they're either embarrassed to smile, they're self-conscious, you know, they're at a wedding, they're at, you know, their whole life they had this issue and he shows that experience of, okay, here's the before and after as I'm doing my analysis, he shows them buying their plane ticket, he shows them flying out, he shows them sitting in their office and then doing the work and then he shows them at the end, hey, here's a month later when they're at the wedding and they got this huge smile, you know, oh, at this party. I love and, that. Yeah, and, and what's amazing, what I learned on that is, what I picked up on is, People now are traveling all over to have work done and why they want the same experience. They're, they're emotionally attached to this person that went through this experience. And so how do I, as a builder create this emotional journey, showing my client, you know, beginning to end the emotional part, maybe keeping the site clean things that really hit home to them you know, the communication with the designer, whatever it may be, where now it creates an attraction for others that are following, you know, that feed.
1: Absolutely. Well, the relationship that both you and I are in with our clients is not a short-term relationship. Right. I mean, some of our projects go a year, 18 months. So that's a really intense marriage, if you will. I mean, I'm going through my... I'm planning their closet. So what do I do? I go into their current closet. I, here I am like in their underwear drawer or whatever. That's a very intimate relationship. <laughs> so they, they want to know who I am, what I stand for, and am I going to talk about them? And, yeah. and they want to know that as well as do they like my work. And so the, I think people people want to know who you are before they enter this long-term relationship. It's not like they're buying a cell phone from us. Here you go. Done. Bye.
0: Yeah, and, and there's a lot of truth to that because although experience plays a role in, you know, our opportunity to win projects uh, for both you and I, but not only that, a lot of it's the personality, right? If people uh-huh. know they're going to enjoy you, uh, yeah. you know, this is going to be a, a marriage, if you will, for two to three years. I mean, most of my projects seem to be two and a half, three years with all the pre-construction and build and stuff, you know, on some of these bigger ones. But um, but yeah, it's really important that if you don't have and, – and I think that's important not only for the client as they're interviewing you as a designer, myself as a builder, but also us to interview them, because mm-hmm. if they're not going to make decisions, or they're, again, going to be really difficult, I mean, that's important for us to learn to say, hey, this, we may need to step back for a couple reasons right. here.
1: And I like to say there are no difficult clients, but they are clients yeah. that are not a good fit for me.
0: Again, I have a very
1: particular set of clients that I love them, they love me, and there's a of clients that I know are not for me. And that is not a wrap on them at all. And it's not a wrap on whoever is the perfect fit for them. There's and, one for all of us to succeed.
0: Yeah. And you make a good point. it's not that they're difficult clients because sometimes it's that our systems are broken down. Our communication process mm-hmm. is not great. Uh, but more than anything, do we have that common understanding? do our personalities align, which is a big part of it. And so it's not so much so difficult, but do we know that we can, yeah, this is gonna be a great communicative process for the next two years. 100% agree. So has social media impacted your lead generation? Or I mean, especially where you have this great background, you know, you had great work experience, you go off on your own, you know, how do you start building clientele, that lead generation, you know, or does that all come from social media or how do you start building those channels?
1: You know, at this moment, 100% of my clients are referral based. I tend to go really deep with clients. I have developers that all do project after project after project for them. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm on project number three with one person right now. Project one of the speculators I work with, I'm project number 45. Wow. Real estate guy who just invests in a lot of different interesting projects. I'm working on two projects for him right now that are like my seventh and eighth projects. So, I tend to go deep with people that resonate with my style. And so, at this moment, i i I think that when someone gets a recommendation from their friend, like, hey, there's this designer that I work with really liked her, they'll go look at my stuff kind of as a resume and like find out who who I am before they give me a call. But um, I'm not getting lots of calls directly from social media at this moment.
0: No, that's good. and but but again, everyone's oh, well, target that works for you. Well, that's a great question. I mean, everyone's market is different too, though. I mean, where you already have a tried and true method of repeat clients and repeat business, you know, that's what you want to seek after, right? That's continue to grow and build that word of mouth. You know, for us, um, similar, I mean, we have word of mouth. A lot of ours is built through social media, a lot of leads, a lot of people that follow our emotional journey for a couple of years and then say, Brad, we're ready. We want you to build our home. Um, We are fortunate to get a lot through social media. And then also... um, in the relationships right as I continue to speak about that relationship with architect designer like we want our designers to know that we always have their back and we're going to take care of them and do everything that they want us to do which builds credibility for us so that that way they refer us on the next job and and we've seen that reciprocity from our designers and architects where they've had a great experience working with my team and they want to bring us back and so that's been helpful too.
1: Can I spend the script and ask you a question? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So did you come out of the gate when you started your business on social media?
0: Uh, That's a great question. How did you
1: start and how'd you know to do it?
0: Uh, You know, it's funny. So I, I worked same thing. I I did construction management in college and then I moved to Phoenix in 2005 and then I worked for a large custom builder. They did custom and commercial and I worked on this amazing hotel resort for Mm -hmm. three years here in paradise Valley. And met some good people. And then I started my firm eight years ago. And so when I started, you know, I had made some contacts, probably similar to you, you know, in, you know, with different people in the industry. And I had a small network of people, close friends, family, you know, that I could work for and start some small jobs. But it really wasn't until um, the third year. So five years ago, you know, I started to get involved in social media. And I'm like, why am I not using Instagram? Why am I not using you know, I'd been on LinkedIn, but I would never used it for my business. And so it was, it was three years into my business five years ago when I really did the dive and been ultra consistent, like done it every day, six, seven days a week for the last five years. And it's been the best decision ever. And I honestly, I from day one,
1: every day you do stories or every day you do a post or both.
0: Great question. So a little bit of everything. So every day I'm on there engaging uh, I try to I try to post five to six times a week, sometimes seven, you know, it just depends, you know, um, but I try to be act. I try to do stories at least four days a week, no matter what they take time. I mean, the thing is it takes time, but I am on all the platforms because my demographics LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. Right. And House Pinterest? I mean, it's all different demos. So it's important to have that reach and. But consistency is everything. And even if you're not posting, maybe you have a project that you're waiting on, but you can still engage. You can still build, you know, respond to comments and network with other professionals. And so that can still help build your brand.
1: Brad, will you teach a class on this?
0: <laughs> no, it's it's funny. You just start learning a lot of tricks and, you know, collaboration and things that work. And and I've just seen the benefit. You know, I'm a big believer in it for sure. And I've seen how it's helped. But, it, it, you know, it's funny because you think about how that applies now. You know, I will say, and I want to give this a plug for you. Is one thing that I was super impressed, Kat, is something you're doing right now with your business. that's something I've never seen, where you are working with spec builders, and now you're beginning, you know, and uh, a platform online where people all over the country, you know, maybe. You know, because one of the challenges as spec builder, you know, I'm all build a suit, which means I'm building these dream homes for our clients. So they're always going to have a designer. Right. But if you're an investor and I'm looking at going and building 12 homes on a piece of land, that land's expensive. So I'm trying right. to cut costs to maximize, you know, the investment I'm putting in. Now, Cat has a resource that I've been looking for as a spec builder. So talk to us about what you're doing.
1: Uh, I'm you know. so excited about this. So I really have been somehow related to the spec building industry since I came out of design school. And um, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but I have come to the conclusion that a lot of things in life should be systemat- systematized. And so I have my system. So when someone comes to me and they have, a spec project and a, a lot of times they're dealing with really strict budgets so they don't have a lot of um they don't have the budget to do a full service design so i offer my spec builders what i call express design and so that's you know selections the things that yeah you could run to Ferguson and say i want lighting and plumbing fixtures for this plan but then you're going to your tile salesperson saying the same thing and who knows if those two things kind of work together and so I tend to attract those builders that want a little bit better than that, but they don't have the budget for, you know, a full service like you would do with a, a, a build to a suit client. And so what I've done is I've come up with two collections that are those selections. And so there's light fixtures, plumbing fixtures, countertops, tile, um, a, a door panel style. Obviously doors aren't spec because it can totally vary based on what the floor plan is. Uh, cabinet door style, same thing on cabinets paint colors, door knobs, cabinet knobs. Um, Brad, you've seen it. I'm trying to think. <laughs> if you of anything I, that I'm not thinking of, let me know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I'll take a step further because I've seen this and this is what's amazing. So I would speak from the builder side. So if I'm a builder and I'm looking at going to do a custom home, well, I want something that's at the forefront of design, something that's current, that's gonna market, that people are gonna walk in and say, I wanna buy this house. And now, and you can maybe show your pricing, you don't have to, but for a yeah. set fee, I can go in and I can purchase, you know, collection one which may be you know modern or collection two that kind of fits and then the benefit to me is um even if i'm in a small rural market or it doesn't matter the market you've partnered with some great brands that i can get you know i can order these online i can work with vendors that supply this material and so the benefit for me is now i purchase your design packet and i have instant specifications where i know the cabinet material i know the countertop the faucet the appliances i know the flooring the paint color And then you have bathroom one, two, three, you have bedroom one, two, three. And so what's amazing is just, it's one set fee. I make that purchase, I download, I'm off to the races. And now I'm building this amazing design that you've, you know, facilitated for me.
1: Right, that's the idea. And I am not sponsored by any product, but on my next, my spring 2021 collection goals are to be uh, sponsored by products, but I am sincerely using products for their price point. And I think all of the lighting and plumbing can be purchased from build.com, which is the online version of Ferguson, which will ship for free. So you could live in Timbuk2 and have zero access. And you here you go. And when you buy the packet, Brad, you've seen I have um, mood boards that you'll get with a purchase. So you'll have something that you can print off and have in your office or in your truck to show to potential buyers that, hey, you have a, a designer that does projects nationwide working on this. And I feel like it gives that builder the next level of sophistication.
0: And, and I love that you said that because there's a couple things you're doing is one, because I've seen the spec book and what's really valuable is not only are you giving me, you know, the name and, you know, the product and manufacturer and the item number. I mean, all that stuff's great, but you have the website. So the, as you mentioned, I could go and I could purchase direct the quantity, ship it right to my house. You know, you have you're picking products that are good quality, that appeal to the masses, but also are gonna perform, right? You know, they're good right. products. And so it's not just the cheap stuff, it's not the most expensive. You're finding that good ground where it makes sense as an investor. So I love that you're doing that because there hasn't really been a resource, at least to my knowledge, where I could go on and buy this designer packet and now I could go build my spec home, you know.
1: I'm so excited. Different. I hope it yeah. meets some serious needs out there.
0: I hope so. so. Yeah, so how did you come up with this concept?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I do a lot of of express design packages for my sweet spec builders. And I just thought, man, the small town that I grew up in in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, what if there's some spec builder there that needs this? How can I make it available to him? And so I like, like it, it's it's literally one of those things that came to me in the shower that I'm like, I'm gonna try this. Like, why would it not work? So in the packet, you get the mood board that you can print out and use for sales you get an Excel spreadsheet that if you're a builder that's working, like maybe this is your first project or you're just starting out and you don't have project management software, I've used these spreadsheets for project management. Like I have um, the columns all set up where you can put in your pricing. Obviously that's gonna vary based on where you're buying it from but it's just like set up where you put in your quantity, your price and it all totals at the bottom. Um, so if even if you're doing, if you're pitching something to an invest if you're a builder pitching something to an investor and you need those numbers you don't have to guess um just go and fill that out and you're off to the races and then i also it's something i haven't sent you brad i went ahead and downloaded all the spec sheets and i have those compiled in a oh
0: in wow years.
1: so you have all of that right at your fingertips not only the link to online if you prefer that which is how i usually access spec sheets but you'll also have. Um, the PDF right there ready for you to just print out if that's if that's your style.
0: Well, well, the advantage is, you know, I've seen, especially if you're a spec builder, you know, you're working with different showrooms maybe, so you're spending a lot of time, you know, at the kitchen and bath showroom, at the cabinet showroom, at the appliance, you know, at, you know, the tile store, the countertops, you know, and so you're trying to pick this. It takes time from your schedule and then you have to put all this information together as like a warranty book or design book for the client that's purchasing the home anyways, whereas now you've saved all this time of resourcing where it's all there so they can essentially just purchase it they have it and then when they turn over or sell the house they could give it to the client so the client knows exactly the product and manufactures in case you know warranty comes up or they need to replace some tile or wood flooring i mean everything's laid out for them i'm so excited yeah it's super exciting so let me ask you this do you plan on doing because this is for the design side and one thing that's really important is the furnishing side right mm-hmm. so is there a I, I guess before we dive into is there gonna be a game plan for furnishing because that gets a lot more complicated. <laughs> that that's a lot more tricky, especially by market that may be different. But what do you like about the furnishing side? You know, how involved do you get in the furnishings and soft furnishings and accessories, you know, which is a big component of what you do?
1: Absolutely. I absolutely love that side of it. Um my heart and soul really does love a good construction site. I that was my first job out of college. I have six brothers, so I grew up very, you know, hands on in the dirt, and so I do love construction. That's definitely one of my passions. But I do love the furnishing side. Um, I, I have a real heart for sustainability in um, helping people find products that were made in a environment, not necessarily just environmentally friendly, but in a responsible way. So not just greenwashing or it's some like faddish kind of thing but i want to make sure that the employee the cust- the employees that made my sofa that i'm specifying or paid good wages and they're not living for a quarter a day in china or something um and i also think it's really interesting and fun because i end up doing a lot of obviously new construction and contemporary architecture um to pull in some antiques and that really helps bring in some like heart and soul to a project so um
0: It's amazing. I mean, let me just build on that because, I mean, your point about furnishings, I think that that is a really, you know, difficult component, right? When you're designing the house and now you're trying to tie in the furniture and, and what I've seen, it's tough and it doesn't matter the budget, of the client, there's always limitations, right? And so you're trying to factor in, you know, what are we, uh, you know, what could we spend on this section or what could we spend on this end table on this lamp? And so you're trying to figure out all these little things to dress it up and artwork and then, if you're taking it a step further, where you're looking at, okay, um, what's sustainable? Is mm-hmm. this product being manufactured by reputable companies? Are the people mm-hmm. given good wages? Well, now you're buying a further. product
1: that will look great in a photo. But if you have three kids and a dog, it's going to look like exactly in six months. And there's so much of this is that like you really need to dive into what the need here and, and how long does this need to perform in?
0: I love that you said that because I've seen too the very successful designers um, are ones where the clients, they, they understand the client's living conditions maybe whether they're a single couple whether they have six kids whether they entertain a lot and they cater the furnishings to that design the stuff that's going to last because there are some things you're not going to want uh, this beautiful white couch with six kids right you know but some designers don't look at that they're looking at the photo but in six months that's going to be either have to be replaced or deep cleaned and it's never going to look the same it did right
1: so, all that to say, there's not a furnishings module to the design kit yet. Yes. Um, will be, a, at some point, some probably vintage finds on my website for people to treat themselves to. Oh, and I'm also working on a furniture collection with an Ameri- American um, furniture manufacturer. So, I'm super excited about that. So, so tell it's- us about <laughs> that. Is
0: this something that's your own line or impact? I mean, how did this relationship begin?
1: Um, this relationship began, so it is... Um, a traditional community in Ohio that has a woodworking shop and five six years ago I had a client that wanted a very specific thing in a bar table and I could not find a manufacturer so I went to this Amish furniture company I'm like hey can you guys make this and they outsourced to this company in Ohio um, long story long <laughs> a couple years later the client wanted another table the place that I bought the table from was out of business but I still had the guy's cell phone number because he had like delivered it himself so I text him Hey, do you know where I can get another table like that? I need a matching one. So he hooks me up with these guys in Ohio. And I've just developed a really wonderful relationship with them. They um, are amazing people. They treat their employees right. They they are honest business people. I've seen them more than one time do the right thing, even when it costs them money. And I so respect that. And their furniture is heirloom quality. I mean, most of their employees are Amish. The furniture is stuff that your grandkids will fight over once you pass. And um, they tend to have a very traditional, you know, particular aesthetic, yet they can build anything. And so we've just built this relationship where when I come up, I I get really wonderful, great clients that need specific things. And so whenever I need a specific wood piece, you know, I sketch it up and I start working with our designers and we toss 3D um, models back and forth. And then we come up with with a final plan and then the furniture arrives, the clients are blown away. It's a wonderful story. But we've loved working together so much that in spring of 2021, we're going to come out with a collection. So it's going to be material designed by Dover Furniture. And so it's going to be things that not just my clients get to buy.
0: Well, that is super exciting. It's funny because typically, you know, you, you, at the end of the podcast, you know, clients, you know, coming up and super excited. And you sure have some amazing things coming up from your design <laughs> packet that people can purchase your own furniture line. You know, so what else, you know? I mean, <laughs> some amazing projects. I mean, I don't know where else, where you leave off with all those exciting announcements. So,
1: I don't know. I just, a good Thanksgiving and Christmas with family after yes. this year, please God.
0: <laughs> a better 2021 that's not been so yeah. chaotic. I'm sure everyone can relate to that. So, where yeah. can our listeners find you?
1: So, Definitely. my um, website is material design, DSGN, it's design without the um, The, the, design kits are going to be design kit for okay. and my Instagram, Kathleen A. Anderson.
0: Great. Well, we'll get all this in the show notes here and tagged um, for our listeners so they can follow along, especially for all those builders that are looking for that design kit to help them, you know, expedite that process. And Kathleen, can't thank you enough for making time. You've been an amazing guest and thank you for sharing all your insight and knowledge with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Brad. It was a pleasure.
0: So as a recap, what I love that Kathleen's doing is for those of you that are building spec homes or in an area maybe you don't have access to a good interior designer or it's cost prohibitive, you know, this is a great opportunity where you can check out this available resource from Kathleen where she has these very current designs and different styles. You can pick that spec book. It itemizes everything you need for each room of the home, you know, from countertops to faucets, to lighting, to flooring, paint colors, everything's already Listed there for you. It's on a spec sheet. It has links so you can purchase it, order it straight to you, no matter if you're rural or in a big city. And so it's just a great concept, you know, just a great idea. So definitely check that out. I'm sure many of you listening, this will fill uh, a need that you may have. And a big thanks to Kathleen for sharing her uh, understanding about, you know, marketing and how she's working through lead generation and how, you know, she's built those relationships. And especially for her, where she has repeat business, how important is that for all of us to learn how to? find good clients and then serve them in a way where they become repeat clients and that that allows us to build our brand so big thanks to kathleen for making time and next week on the podcast we have ashley stark kenner that's coming on and ashley for those of you that follow her on instagram she just hit a million followers on instagram so we're going to talk a lot about that and about how she's built her online profile and then also a little bit about stark carpet so again thanks kathleen for making time and we'll see you all next week